Right now we're in the middle in the auditorium class studying in Philippians and I asked brethren in the Bible class, I said, you know, how important is unity? We know it's important, but how important is it? And as we were discussing, I gave them a reason for that question, and that is, you know, while we're talking about these things in the Bible class here, I believe them to be so vitally important to the work here that we have a lot of other classes going on in the congregation, downstairs and down the hall here, that I wanted you to be able to hear some of these things as well. And so not wanting to sound so redundant for those who are in this Bible class, I want it to be so important that, that everyone gets to hear this message. This is something that I believe so strongly about, and I believe things that, that every congregation needs to hear from time to time. And so we're talking about being like-minded, and so when we're looking in, in Philippians, just as a very brief highlight and kind of abstract, if you will, of what's going on, we're talking about this section of the letter from chapter 1, verse 27, when Paul tells the saints there to walk worthy of the gospel all the way through the end of second chapter, in which he is having within this mindset of how we can have this unity from a very practical standpoint, just as was prayed for by a brother. We're looking at an attitude. The way we look to each other, the way we think about one another. And so, from that standpoint, he goes on in this letter in verse 27, and he's talking about how we should stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together. He goes on in the second chapter and in verse 2, he says that we should be of the same mind, just as Ben was reading for us. Same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And he goes on to say then in verse 3 that we would do nothing from selfish, selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility. Now imagine that. If every one of us would literally put this to practice, that when I look at my brothers and my sisters in Christ, that I would humble myself. It's so easy to talk about. It's so easy to say we all need to be humble. I remember that was the, the, the cool word in high school. All the guys, I remember with the ukuleles out in the recess. I, I don't know if there's recess anymore in school. <laughs> But we used to have one-hour-long recesses, and so everyone would bring their ukuleles out and jam and, and what have you. Well, these guys were talking about being humble like me, you know. <laughs> but there was no humility to them. And we looked at that word and didn't understand it whatsoever, but it was a cool word to be humble. And it's so trendy to speak about it in church, talking about the need for humility. But it doesn't mean a thing to us if we don't live this way. And when Paul was writing this letter, it was not, you know, I thank you for what you've been doing, supporting me, and, and oh, yeah, i got to fill some space now, so this will be an important letter for 2,000 years later. He's talking about real situations among brothers and sisters in Christ that we would have this kind of attitude toward one another, and it would be reflected in our relationship. That's why he's bringing this letter out, and this is the very thing that we need for us today, but the thing and the problem is us. We get in the way with this very directive. We all want to have unity. We all want to be like-minded. But when it comes to daily living, every one of us struggles to a lesser or greater degree for our own pride, our own arrogance, 
We have a hard time because of selfishness and worldliness. And when you combine all these things, you have conflict. When you have two people who want it their way, what happens? Fight, right? And then you have one person wants it their way and the other person giving in. What do you have? After a while, you feel like you just walked all over, all the time, because you're always giving in. And pretty soon, what happens to this person who always gives in? They start fighting back. I want my way too. And then you get more fighting. That's the problem. And just because we'll go through this lesson this morning doesn't mean it's going to be solved. Because we're going to have to work through it. And there are going to be times when every one of us will struggle with this very thing that we know to do. That's because of our flesh. And so we're looking at the need to have this kind of unity. The result when we fail on any level, when any one of us becomes selfish or worldly or arrogant or prideful, there's going to be pride or excuse me, there's going to be conflict, there's going to be strife. And everything that brings about chaos, Satan loves that. Chaos is to him beautiful music. Division, enmity, anything that can have discord among the people of God, he's on for. And the thing is that when we look at these things, and every time that I feel like I've been wrong, every time that I feel like, you know, the, here's the reason why I am so animated and so staunch about what I believe, I fail to see the very essence of what the fragrance of what we want to be gets lost. And we justify it. All in the name of some righteousness. And so these are things that we're going to be looking at this morning. And if we're going to be growing then as this body, we're going to have to rethink of our thoughts. Rethink how we think about each other. There's always lessons. Tell me if this is not true. You make a good point, men, then you're giving your invitations or you're giving sermons, and one of them in the audience will go to the next one right like this. You hear that? That's for you. <laughs> next point being, the next person goes, yeah, but that was for you. <laughs> and they were like, man, that just hit me between the eyes. And I really need to focus on this. Because it's so easy, isn't it? To just look at everyone else going, boy, that, did you, did you hear that lesson? Usually the one about attendance, no one's there, right? That's the ones that need it. Or the one about anger, well, they're not there. And yet, I'm going to be looking at myself the entire time. That's the arrogance that we're talking about. And so somehow, sometimes then we get this air within us and about us that says, I am better than you. And you need to listen to my way because it's the better way, it's the more spiritual way. The right way to go. And so, these are things that we're going to look at. And so, as a body then, our thoughts and our deeds need to be like-minded. And one thing before we actually get into the text here that we're looking at in Philippians chapter 2 is this. When we're talking about being like-minded, I've got to add this caveat. Because being like-minded does not mean we have to agree with every single jot and tittle. This mindset of being like-minded is no different than when we're looking at this, this stand called, called truth. For instance, 
And I made mention of this in a Bible class, maybe last week or a week before, when we're looking at the first few verses. But when you stop and consider the kinds of divisions that many of the churches in the first century had, they all did not agree upon every single matter. That's why we have passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Romans chapter 14. Whereupon there are brethren that look at things from this point of view, whether it was eating meat versus vegetables, eating meat sold in the marketplace that had been previously used for idolatry, or whatever it was, there are brethren that said you cannot do it, it's just wrong, and that's the mindset, and thus they did not. But they had a hard time looking at the brethren that did. And the brethren that did had this mindset of the scriptures and said, now, I have the freedom. And look at you. You can't tell me what to do. And then we start looking down upon them. And what do you have? you got brethren that become divided. And rather than the work flourishing, everyone's stuck on these things. The truth was still there. But what they needed was to understand how that each person stood before Jesus Christ. And Jesus was going to be the one that will judge. That's clear. And while we have our convictions and stand for those very convictions, and we ought to, the thing that we cannot do is forget what is gravely important, of great weight. As if I become the standard for truth, and if you don't agree with me, then you don't love the Lord. Sometimes we think that way. And we behave that way. When we're talking about being like-minded, we're talking about it from the standpoint that we all would be one in Jesus Christ. That we strive together for the work of the Lord. So those are the things that I want us to talk about. The first thing is, is the whole concept of thought. And I remember years ago when we were, we were at a location, it was back in Fayetteville, and and there was this thought that brethren had when I first moved to Fayetteville. Brethren from this congregation had regarding brethren from this congregation. And it wasn't good. These brethren would whisper words, or not whisper at all, and say things that I thought, wow, that's, just, that's, that's not the right spirit, brethren. But I heard the same thing from this congregation about the brethren from here. And these are brothers and sisters in Christ. The Lord's church is not just a bunch of congregations all over this, this world, this planet that we live on. It's all the same. How do we think about everyone in Christ? How do we look at one another? Well, it starts with the attitude. Our thoughts are the key to maintaining the fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ. We're, in Proverbs 23, it says, As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Why don't you look at that proverb for just a little bit and gain some insight as to what's going on in the text here and then we apply it to what we're talking about today. In Proverbs chapter 23, this is a very, very good scripture for us to kind of take our hands and, and kind of read through this text, feel um, over it tactically, if you will, practically, if you will. Notice what he's saying in the first six verses. <clears throat> When you sit down to eat with a ruler, okay, so if you ever get a chance, think about this. Consider carefully what is before you. And put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. 
That doesn't sound like a pretty picture. You're going to go to some ruler, someone with great influence, someone who has great wealth, and, and you have a problem with eating. He says, it's better for you. Kind of like what Jesus says, it's better for you to take your eye out, cut your arm off. It's better to cut your throat. Just a gross picture. But he gets the point very clearly. And there's a reason for it. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Peace. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make them wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Or so is he, excuse me. Eat and drink, he says to you. But his heart is not with you. He's given a general picture of, of the rich and how they would manipulate by virtue of getting you on their side, but they're really not on yours. In other words, their actions speak differently than their thoughts. Their thoughts are, how can I control you? But their actions show something that is, wow, he's feeding me. We have fellowship with one another. In other words, if that's your weakness, get rid of it because you're not able to objectively think about what that person is doing to you. Because as a person thinks, so he is. That's the heart coming out. And we're deceived by the hearts of men sometimes. Sometimes we don't see what's coming before us. And what we think to be good actually destroys relationships. And so this is the picture that is given and the principle that we're using from a standpoint that our hearts, while we can hide from one another from time to time, cannot be hidden before our God. Our God understands exactly what kind of heart we have. Eventually, the fruit of our lives shows our hearts. But you know, we can hide from people for a while. I can put my best foot forward, brethren, and God forbid this should ever happen to me. But it's happened to enough preachers and enough elders. Where you have men who stand before the congregation and teach the truth, practice a lie. God forbid that I would be teaching about a wholesome marriage. And by the way, I was asked to give it up on Tuesday night, starting over at the Tom Lee. This Tuesday night, we're going to have um, Bible studies on for young married couples. So those that fit in that qualification and, and want to study, there's our, our message. Otherwise, I'll forget if I don't get that. But imagine I'm preaching about marriage. Married 17 years to my beloved bride. And you think, you know what? Mitch really loves his wife. And what if for 17 of those years I was committing adultery and you didn't know about it? You see, we can fool each other for a period of time. We can get away with our sins because our heart may look one way but our actions another. And there are men preaching the gospel and elders doing the same thing and Bible class teachers and just brothers and sisters in Christ that can live this way, fool one another, but we cannot fool our God as to our hearts. Cannot. And the reason why I'm harping on this is because this is, pun intended, at the heart of what we're talking about within this letter that Paul writes to his brethren at Philippi. 
our attitude has everything to do with our relationship. And if our attitude is just not there, doesn't be any good. Just by way of the fact that you can be here this morning, you can have your eyes over here, but your mind is completely gone. Your attitude says, I don't even care what you're talking about. I don't even know why I'm here. I'm just doing it for my wife or my husband or my mom or my dad. Your attitude is at the heart of it. And so it is then when we're talking about being like-minded. Our attitude has to be one. We have to be like-minded in such. And when we are, then we can look to the well-being of others. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here in Philippians chapter 2. He's talking about how our attitude should look at each other and say, you are better than me. Now, Paul's not trying to, to say that, that you are inferior to the next person. That's not what he's getting at. We know Galatians chapter 3, when you read verses 27 to 29, says that all who have been baptized into Christ, we're all one in Christ. Whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, whatever the situation, we're all equal in Christ. That's a truth. But he says your attitude, the way you look at one another, should be as if that person is more significant than you are. That took me years to figure out. Even when I read it, it didn't ring right with me. And I was preaching for a good year or so before I just finally like, i got to believe what God's Word says because as far as I was concerned, I cannot think of others better than myself because we're equal. I was missing the point. And sometimes, brethren, we know the point, but we don't even practice it. It's like, well, you know what, I know I'm supposed to think of you as better than myself, but not on this case. This is too important. It's got to be my way. That's the right way not what he's talking about. You always look at your brothers and sisters in Christ, who Christ died for, gave up his life for. You look at them, and you esteem them higher. When you do that, what do you do? And if you were to have some ruler, I'm not going to name names, <laughs> whatever ruler that you, you know, that is over maybe, maybe it's the mayor, or former mayor, Maybe it's, maybe it's one of the magistrates in, in our local area. Maybe it's the governor of Tennessee. Maybe it's the president, any one of them that's still alive, former or current president, and they were to come to your home, how would you treat them? Would you agree or disagree with the way they rule, with their behavior of life? How would you treat them? I'd like to think you would treat them with utmost respect. Sometimes we'll treat a stranger much better than our own family. God forbid, but it happens. And it's because of the way you look at each other. I look at you and say, well, you know, this is the way you view some of these beliefs on God's Word and not so spiritually minded, so, well, I'm not going to look too good upon you. Man, you're my brother. You're my sister. Paul says, this is the way you look at each other. And so it starts again with the heart. Well, what that means then is the way we live is going to be a reflection of our heart, our thoughts, that is. The way we deal with one another on a daily basis. And you see, 
however wonderful you are to Mitch Davis and to the Davis nation, if you would be that way to everyone else, man, we perfection. That would be nothing but great to us since we've been here. Be that way to every soul in the body of Christ. And you'd be surprised how wonderful the body would grow. And so we're talking about our deeds then and the things that take place. And so out of the abundance of the heart, a man speaks, right? That's what the scripture is saying in Luke chapter 6. When we look at Luke chapter 6 verse 45, a person with an evil heart eventually, they're going to produce the fruit that shows a person's got an evil heart. Matthew chapter 13, when you read of the different soils, right? You got the soil with the rock and the stony ground. And then you got those ground where the, the rock, um, the stony ground is not able to produce anything. All the way to the thorny ground. All the way to the good soil. You got the four different ones, but yet those three are evil in some capacity. And eventually the fruits bear forth the heart. And so Jesus is talking about the heart of an individual that eventually it comes out by what is being said or the way you live your life for that matter. And so we're looking at having good hearts, good noble hearts, like Luke 8, 13. We're talking about having the kind of heart that says, when I look at my brother and my sister, and as surely as I could easily find flaws in you if we spend enough time, you could do it with me. But I'm going to look at you with a genuine, sincere interest in your well-being. Does it come across if you're sincere? If you're sincere with the way you live before your brothers and sisters in Christ, do you believe brethren can tell it's genuine? Over time, I believe so. Eventually, your fruit, your fruit over the years are such where people know, hey, you know what? This person, this brother, this sister, they're always giving. Or they're very generous. Or they're very humble in their approach to dealing with brothers and sisters in Christ or dealing with people in this world. Eventually, that pattern and that lifestyle brings forth your reputation. And that's what we're looking at here. And in Ephesians chapter 4, when you read verses 11 through 16, and particularly verses 14 through 16, that's the point that Paul is making to the brethren there as he is similarly making to the saints at Philippi. Look at what it says in Ephesians 4. When Paul writes to them, he says in verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine or teaching, by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness or deceitful plotting. I mean... Does that sound like sincerity and truth? Not there. Contrast that, verse 15, says, but speaking of truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joins and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Causes growth of the body. For the edifying of itself in love. You just can't get away from humility and love working together from the thoughts and then the manifestation of those thoughts to the way that you speak to and about one another. Can't get away from it. When those two are, are working together, you have what you need for edification, for the body being built up. But everyone has to do their parts. And so our heart manifests itself. And look at the contrast between it and when, when you don't. Look at what James says in James chapter 3. 
verse 13. Here's very clear scripture. He says, who is, in, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that the works are done in the meekness of wisdom. There's your humility. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. In other words, if you have bitter envy, you have selfish ambition, you have empty conceit, whatever it is along these lines, if you have that, don't justify your actions. Don't lie against the truth of the matter. That's your heart. Confess it. That you may be able to work through such and or have help from God because of His wonderful grace and mercy. But every time we have bitter envy, every time we have self-seeking in our hearts, we show what wisdom we belong to. He says in verse 15, this wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly. It's sensual. It's demonic. <laughs> and it's from where every or envy and self-seeking exists because confusion and every evil thing are there. That's where Satan is. Contrast that to the wisdom above, which is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. Full of, does, does this sound real productive? Willing to yield? I mean, come on, that's how you get run over. That's how things don't get done, right? That's the world thinking. That's demonic thinking. Willing to yield, being gentle, full of mercy, being peaceable. These are the things that Jesus himself said, blessed are they. And yet when we live, we somehow justify when we don't behave this way. It's okay in my situation because I was standing up for my convictions. And never mind the souls have been bloodied along the path because they don't love the Lord like I do. We may not say it in those words, but that's sometimes the way we behave, brethren. I've seen it. And it's so harmful. Eventually our heart comes out in the interaction or dialogue. In the things that we do, sometimes preachers will use the pulpit as a platform to get their side. Sometimes elders in the directing of the church for their glory. Sometimes Bible class teachers or brothers and sisters in Christ who have been held to such high esteem among the saints use their influence. That's that um, article I wrote a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, about spiritual bullies. Happens. It eventually comes out. Because we talk to each other in a way that we ought not, or we talk about one another. There are times when we can say, Oh, I look at Ben and I'm talking to Ben and I'm so nice to Ben and I behind psh, whispering about Ben and the things that I don't like about Ben. I'm just using it as an example, Ben. <laughs> not it, that that it has happened. I don't know how I could look at Miss Paulette any other way, but what if, just what if, <laughs> I could say, speak so nicely to her and then let me tell you about Miss Paulette. We can do that. And we harm each other in our relationships when that happens. Eventually it comes back, Mitch said something about Miss Paulette, Miss Paulette comes, did you say anything about me? Oh, no, not at all. I know what you're talking about. And we lie. It's a manifestation of our heart. 
it tells exactly what kind of person we are. Just because we're in Christ doesn't necessarily mean we're being molded or, more importantly, or correctly, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds to be like Him. This is where we need to grow and to be consistent. Because we either exude that fragrance of what is pure and peaceable and gentle and kind and holy, or divisive, full of envy, selfishness, and greed. It's either one or the other. It's pretty much black and white. It's just that we are not always able to see it, but God does. And so we're going to apply this being like-minded indeed. This is where Paul gets into it, where he says our speech and our behavior needs to reflect that humility in the interest of others. That's what he's saying in these first four verses in Philippians 2. Look out for each other's interests. Now, if I'm always looking out for my brethren, and naturally, from a practical standpoint, I cannot in a given week, well, maybe I can, I just don't give myself enough credit. How can I personally be vested in every one of your lives? And my prayer. But making phone calls, coming to your home every single day, it's hard, but as a totality, we all can be doing it for each other. I can be thinking about you. I can be praying about you. I can be talking to you, whether it's through email or whatever means of communication that we have today. Phone conversations and share with you my interest for you. And not be superficial. You know, like the superficial, hey, how are you doing? I'm fine. And you never, that's just your typical greeting, but never sincere. We're talking about sincere conversation where if I say I want to be there for you, that I genuinely mean it. And that eventually you know my character and I know your character and we're living this way, we can count on each other. In Christ Jesus, we can count on each other. That's because we're like-minded. And that cannot happen unless our heart is first like-minded. Real simple lesson. There's nothing rocket science about, about serving the Lord, about having fellowship with each other, brethren. We're talking about things that are very, very simple. We're talking about having unity within the body of Christ. And if we cannot have this kind of unity, then you need to do a self-evaluation about what kind of way you think of your brethren. And do you lie to yourself? Do you say you love your brethren, but when you think about them, you look down upon them? When you speak to or about your brothers and sisters in Christ, for that matter, people that you're trying to teach the gospel to who are in this world, what comes across your mind? We brought up the Pharisee and the tax, the tax collector, I think, in the invitation last week and also in our Bible class. We can have someone say, God, thank you, I'm not like him. Man, I'm so much better than he. We may not use those very words, but it comes across that way. When it does, <coughs> we cannot have unity. Not the way God wants us to have. So I want you to self-evaluate. Look at your life. If you want to grow in the Lord, if you want to have a congregation of God's people, and I'm not limiting it to this building, I'm talking about the kingdom of our Lord. You've got to start having a desire to be like-minded. starts there. It's a very simple but fundamental aspect of our walk in the Lord and the fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ. Are you willing to do that? If it's not, then stop and think about it. 
think and ask yourself the question, am I causing this body to grow or is my attitude and is my speech, is my behavior actually hindering growth? I can tell you right now, the answer is absolutely not if you're blind to your own sins. In other words, I'm not causing any uh, malfunction in the body. I do everything good. Take an honest look. Be sincere. When there's friction and you're involved in that friction, how did you handle it? How do you look at your brother and sister that you have friction with right now, if you have such? How do you work through that friction? Do that the way the Lord wants you to, the way Paul is exhorting us, and we'll be on our way to having unity the way God does.